Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Did you hear what I just said? Acts chapter 3. We are flying now. Appreciate those praying for me this past week. I was preaching in Ormond Beach, Florida. And uh, man, it was travel is interesting right now. So I'm glad I made it back. And we had a great meeting while I was down there. Thank you for praying. Acts chapter 3, I'm going to start with verse 6, just because of the song that Emily just sang. Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What a powerful name it is. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us as we study this passage today. And it's an amazing account. It's an amazing account. And and I'm very thankful that you have recorded it in this book of Acts so that we can learn about how you work and who you are. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the whole passage, starting with verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. So there were, they would meet at noon, at 3, and at 6. The 3 o'clock, they would make the sacrifices. I'm sorry, this third hour, they would make the sacrifices and the uh, prayer time after that. All right, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, and they laid, uh, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Now, alms are are things given to the poor to help meet their needs. Verse 4, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Boy, he got something he didn't expect, didn't he? Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. This is an amazing an amazing account. We're going to learn some things from it. But I want, by way of introduction... I want us to think of this subject of miracles. Now, if you look past what happened at Pentecost, which was an unusual thing, the Holy Spirit coming down, people speaking with tongues that they, languages that they did not know, with the, in the, the beginning of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this is different than that. This is for the first time that one of the apostles here is going to perform a miracle in the book of Acts. And it is in this healing of the lame man. And how many of you wish that you could do this? Wouldn't you love to, you see someone in need and they have a physical need 
And you could say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Wouldn't that be amazing? Why doesn't that happen anymore? By the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, it's not happening anymore. It's done. It's done. So let's just, by way of introduction, let's look at this subject. Today I'm going to read a couple of longer quotes from different writers. So you're going to have to plug in a little bit. I'll try and get your attention back, hopefully. So one of the things that is another interesting component of this is we don't know when this happened. We don't know how long after the day of Pentecost it happened. If you look at the end of verse 2, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 2, The Bible says in verse 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. So they were saved. They had to be born again. They had to believe the message that Peter preached, the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and also the message of the national sin of Israel in crucifying Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So at some point after that, Peter and John are going into the temple like they did every day. That's what it says, continuing daily in the temple. They were going in as they were, but we don't know when this happened. The question, though, is why do these kinds of miracles not happen today? You know, there are many people who have been exposed to faith healers. And they have been completely disillusioned with Christianity because, now listen, let me be very clear, because those men are liars. Those women are liars. They do not heal. They might be able to alleviate some kind of psychosomatic illness, something that someone has in their head, or someone can believe so strongly that they, that they stop hurting for a little while. But inevitably, it comes back. Why? Because they do not have the power to heal. Why would Benny Hinn wear a hairpiece if he had the power to heal? Surely, he would cure that. They do not have the power to heal. I wish I did. Judy Leesner's back, right? I mean, her heart and her back because of it. But Judy Leesner's heart and and John's back. Would you all like to be able to heal that? For them, people that are struggling with cancer. Can you imagine being able to heal that? Why doesn't that happen anymore? Let me read you something from G. Campbell Morgan, a great expositor from the 1800s, late 1800s. He said this, This is the first miracle recorded in the book of of the Acts of the Apostles. As time passed on, there was a gradual decrease in physical miracles, Listen to this, though. And in, and a corresponding increase in spiritual wonders. See, we're seeing a shift from the physical to the spiritual. From the physical to the spiritual. And that's going to teach us something. Our Lord never set any great value upon the physical miracles he wrought as arguments or credentials, either for his divinity or his mission. I love this. He said that, that I added that. This, he, he said to his own, believe me or else believe me for the very work's sake. His supreme evidence was himself. His supreme argument was himself. But in the midst of that unbelieving, 
and superstitious and materialistic age, it was necessary that there should be material manifestations of power to arrest the attention. In proportion, as the church emerged into all her spiritual glory, she ceased to see the material miracles which were necessary in the earthly ministry of Christ. Now, one of the things that's very difficult for us to comprehend is how the world has been changed by Christianity. Everything was made better. Ladies, the fact that you are not second-class citizens, that you are not property, is because of Christianity. The fact that children are not abused as a part of the regular culture, that is the result of Christianity. But what do we see with the return to paganism? We see children being abused and molested. We see children who they're having surgeries done on them that render them sterile and impossible to ever reproduce. We see that, that the, the whole concept of womanhood is being diminished and a man can now be a woman as if men didn't already dominate things. You see what happens. The entire, and the reason those things seem so strange to us, if I may say normal people, don't be ashamed of that. Hi, I'm Jim. I'm a man. Why? Because I'm a man. You see, all of these, all of these strange ideas, they all go back to paganism. See, we don't recognize how different the world was, how superstitious the world was. And I know you might bring up the superstition of the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages were dark because they didn't have the Bible. Right? They would not have believed the things they believed had they the scriptures in their own languages and in their own hands. As a matter of fact, many of the famines, many of the deaths that came from, from the spread of plague was because they didn't, they, they kept their dead bodies with the people and the Bible tells you what to do with the dead bodies. The Bible tells you what to do with your human waste. Don't have it around you. You, I went to Scotland. I was in Scotland and they have these things called closes. They're called closes there in the city of Edinburgh because they're very tight alleys. And you'd be walking along, not while I was there, this would be in the past, and someone would just dump their waste, their human waste, out into the street. They might dump it on your head as you were walking by. And we wonder why people died. Because they weren't going along with what the Bible said about all of those things. So understand what Christianity has done to the world and has done to the culture. Why was slavery overthrown? Because of Christians. Now, I say overthrown. Overthrown in the West. There's still slavery in every Muslim country. There's still slavery all over Africa. There's slavery all over the world. It was the West that stopped that. And it wasn't the West. We need to stop saying it was the West. It was Christianity that did that. So we need to understand the miracle, the spiritual transformation of the world that happened because of the rise of the New Testament church and believing in the Bible. It's vital that we understand that. Back to G. Campbell Morgan. He said, these miracles were rendered unnecessary in view of the wider and more spacious work of spiritual testimony and power. And that fact is revealed. I love this right here. Remember when Jesus said, greater works than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father? Remember Jesus said, greater works shall ye do? Well, after Christ left, did they walk on water? 
Did they perform the miracles that Jesus Christ performed? Did, uh, an ear cut off, did they pick it up and put it back on? Did they disappear? An angel of the Lord came and brought Peter out. They couldn't see what Peter was doing, but they didn't do that. Jesus did that. What are the greater works that the apostles were going to do? Back to G. Campbell Morgan. Greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto the Father. By that word, he did not mean that they would work more wonderful miracles in the material realm, for they did not do so. He meant rather that the miracle wrought in the material is never so marvelous as the miracle wrought in the spiritual realm. When he passed to the Father, they were to work greater works, the wonders, in the spiritual realm. You can actually change a person's eternity. See, if I were able to restore an ear, that person could still go to hell. I can't send a person to heaven. I can't do that. I can preach the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God will convict that person. They repent of their sin. They acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and they believe that his death, burial, and resurrection is enough. What happens then? Well, then the Bible says they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Hold your place in Acts 3. Go to John 14. Remember what the Bible says. If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Every saved person has the Spirit of Christ in them, and that's why Paul wrote, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. At the same time, we are in him we are placed in him by the Holy Spirit of God. How long does that last? Here's what Jesus said. John chapter 14, and look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Why? Because Jesus was leaving. He was ascending to the Father. I will give you another comforter that he may abide with you. How long? forever. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. You are, you are born again. And that's why the Bible says that uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? What is it? Well, how can it be eternal if the Holy Spirit can leave you? It can't be. It can't be. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. So verses 1 through 11 are describing all of those that are in Christ, all of those things that God has predestined and foreordained that would be true of anyone in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise 
which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Very simply, when you hear the word of truth, you believe the word of truth, you receive the word of truth, then you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise and you have that Holy Spirit of promise until he comes back to get us, until the redemption of the purchased possession. So if you go to the theater and um, Laura and I went and saw La Mez not too long ago, and they have a coat check. And you put your coat in the coat check and they give you a little ticket. You walk back and you give them the ticket and you're redeeming your coat. You're redeeming your coat. The ticket that God gave you is the seal of the Holy Spirit until he comes back to redeem us from this earth and take us to heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so when, when Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do, He's not talking about the restoring of an ear or a limb. Why? Because the message of the New Testament and the progressive revelation of the New Testament, how God progressively revealed how he was going to work in the world, the message of that is clearly the spiritual is more important than the physical. Amen? That's the message. Your eternal soul is far more important than your physical ability or disability. And we live in a time, and boy, I, I could spend a bunch of time on this right here. Social Marxism has taken over our thinking. So remember what Marxism was supposed to do. Marxism was going to divide us between two classes, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. And you had, you had the common people and the ruling people. The ruling people controlled all the capital, but the common people did all the work. And so what they wanted to do was they wanted to distribute all of that capital among all those who do the labor. The only problem is it doesn't work that way. You understand how many people who win the lottery are broke within a few years? Why? Because they're bad at life. You know how they're bad at life? They played the lottery. Someone said the lottery is a tax on people that can't do math. And so this idea that if we just spread all of the wealth around, everything would get better, the only problem is nobody ever bought it. I mean, you had a few radicals, crazy people that believed it. Nobody believed socialism. Nobody believed Marxism. So it had to be modified. And it was modified by a guy named Antonio Gramsci. He was an Italian Marxist. And what he wanted to do was he, he established something called the long march through time. Well, by the time you get to uh, men like Saul Alinsky later on, and remember Barack Obama taught the Alinsky plan, that's, that's what he did from a book called Rules for Radicals. What they realized was that, that the class warfare model is not effective in a prosperous nation. It doesn't work. And so they had to find a new model. They had to find a new way to divide us and pit us against each other. And the model they found was race. And the race model became so effective, they started dividing us under among gender. Women are called a minority when there are more women in the United States than there are men. Can you explain that to me? How about women don't have enough opportunities? There are more women in college for the higher fields than there are men. All of these things are lies, folks. 
And once those ideas started falling by the wayside, because there are more women in college than there are men, well, they had to come up with something else. Now it's got to be sexual identity. It's all made up. It's all a farce. And it's a, it's a destruction of everything that God established. That's where we are. That is where we are. So what do we do in this materialistic age? How do we deal with people? Silver and gold. Have I none? But such as I have, give that I unto you. Go with me back, go back with me to the book of Acts. Let's, let's look at this just for the next few minutes. Let's look at the setting of the story. The setting of the story. You have Peter and John. Peter and John. This is from John Phillips. He wrote, Peter and John. That was different. It used to be Peter and Andrew. James and John. Now it is Peter and John. Calvary, that's where Jesus was crucified, had brought these men into closer fellowship with each other. By nature and temperament, they were different. Peter, by nature and temperament, was a doer. John was a dreamer. Peter was a motivator. John was a mystic. Peter had his feet on the rock. John had his head in the clouds. Peter would point to John and demand of the Lord, what shall this man do? This is after Jesus Christ's resurrection. He him. Hey, Jesus, what about John? Remember what Jesus said? What is that to thee? Well, well you're writing a book. <laughs> this, is, this is not for you. But this is fun. John would quietly whisper to Peter in a moment of doubt, it is the Lord. Remember, they're out fishing. Jesus Christ has been crucified. John's the only one that stood by the cross and waited. Peter had fled. Why? Because he had denied him. And it was Peter's quiet message, it is the Lord. And what's Peter do? Jumps out of the boat. Right? They, they are just different. The other thing I want to mention this struck me maybe yesterday or the day before when I was thinking about this message. So we're Peter doing all these things and preaching these great sermons. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Peter's sermon that he preaches in response to this and in reaction to or to answer the people's questions about it. Don't forget, Peter was killed for the Lord. He died horribly. John was probably boiled in oil. These men who seem so joyful to preach the word of God, they paid the ultimate price. Why? Because the spiritual is more important than the physical. Is that clear? If they were willing to die for it, the spiritual is more important than the physical. Let's go on. John would outrun Peter to the tomb. Peter would push past John and rush right in. Peter would dash on out again, his mind in a whirl. John would walk away thinking deeply over the significance of those strangely ordered grave clothes. Remember, they were folded, and he writes that. Peter and John were opposites. By nature, they would get on each other's nerves, but now they walked together. The men, the men that were there. Another writer wrote, Peter appears again upon the foreground as the leader. Though John was with him, there is no, single, there is no record of a single word which he spoke. So John was there, but Peter did all the talking. Is that a surprise? 
No. This is the way that God works with people. Fascinating. Arnold Gabeline wrote, Peter was the chosen instrument to preach the gospel to the circumcision, that's the Jews, and deliver to the nation this new message of repentance. See, John preached a message of repentance. They had stopped looking for the Messiah. Peter's preaching a message of repentance. You killed the Messiah. Right? That's what Peter was called to do. So the men. What about the time? The time. It was a prayer meeting time in the temple. The place where the new believers in the Lord Jesus gathered in his name. It was the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. The same moment, listen to this, the same moment when Calvary, the mysterious midday at Calvary, the mysterious midday darkness had lifted. It was the moment when the sin bearer had dismissed his spirit. Unto thee I commend my spirit, and he gave up the ghost. An hour to conjure up thoughts of Calvary. A fitting hour for two men who loved Jesus and who loved each other to find themselves arriving together at the place of prayer, like Paul was saying. One of the things that the church did was they gathered in the temple and prayed together. One of the things that we ought to do is gather together and pray. Amen. So we have, we have the setting. We have, we have Peter and John, and we have the, the time frame was the hour of prayer. And, of course, that's when this man was brought to beg. What about the man? Luke tells us of the tragedy in this man's life. He was lame from birth. He was lame from birth. Can you imagine his parents when this child is born? They're so excited to have a son. And then they look and they say, something's not right. Something's not right. And then as that boy grew, he could never walk. He could never run and play with the kids. He could never hope to earn a living. He could never hope to be married. He could never hope to have a family. He could never hope to give his parents grandchildren. He could never hope to do any of that. The miserable condition of this man. You see, we live in a time because of Christianity where people like that have been cared for. And let me say this. The rise, the rise of the, the, the social movement that pulled all of that away from Christianity and put it in the hands of the government, that's, that's removed from us the opportunity to have an impact on those people spiritually. Have you heard of George Mueller, the great uh, 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 man who had the orphanages in England? A great man of prayer in Bristol, England. By the 19, early 1900s, that ministry was completely gone because the government had taken over caring for the orphans. Who do you think did it better? Right? And yet, here we have this man in a horrible state. Think about what it was like. But then, not only that, think about his total dependence on others. There were no wheelchairs. There was was no way for him to get anywhere other than for people to carry him and look at the text. Look at what it says. Verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple. He was was laid there every day. They took him, laid him down. Took him and laid him down. And I think the place where he went was on purpose. He's there at the time of prayer, and people that were dedicating their time to prayer, these are the kind of people that possibly, after having met with God, might have the heart to help him. 
as they came out. It was a specific place. The gate beautiful. It was the most beautiful of all of the gates. It was a beautiful place to stay. It was a, when, when you would walk in through the gate there, that beautiful gate, there was a wall that was there. And the wall said, no Gentiles past this point. Do you know what that was? That was the wall of partition that Colossians talks about between the Jew and the Gentile. And remember that in Christ, that middle wall of partition has been torn down and he's made us all one in Christ. But he was sitting outside of Solomon's porch. He was sitting outside the, this court of the Gentiles. He was sitting outside of this beautiful gate. And it's a beautiful place to be with people that were worshiping God. So surely someone would help him. What a horrible place to be. He was hoping that a heart of giving would be in those who had come to worship and pray. So look at the question he asked. Verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. An alms, a, a, a gift of some way that could help him financially. This is interesting to me because the fame of these apostles, especially of Peter, was all through Jerusalem. Look at what it says in verse 47 of chapter 2. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Praising God and having favor with all the people. 3,000 people had been added to the church right there on that first day. And so then after that, daily more people were being added. And daily you can be added. You don't have to wait for church service. You don't have to wait for a certain event. You know what I believe? I believe that every day, every day, since the resurrection of Christ and the preaching of the gospel, someone somewhere in the world has gotten saved. Daily, there's added to his body. Daily, there's added to the church, such as should be saved. You need to be saved. You should be saved. I've got a friend, John Moore, when somebody says you should do something, he says, did you just shit on me? That doesn't sound right, does it? You say I should do something, yes, you should be saved. Yes. Yes. So this, the fame of Jesus and his disciples had dominated Jerusalem at that time. The man surely knew who Peter was. He was. The Bible says he's at the temple every day, and this man is there begging every day. The disciples have been worshiping and teaching there. But listen to what John Phillips said about this. Grinding poverty does not tend to lift a man's thoughts much higher than his pressing and continual material needs. Have you ever been in pain and you can't think about anything else but the pain? You got a bill coming due and you can't think of, any, think of anything else but that bill? Think about that all magnified in this man. So here you have a man. You've heard about all this amazing work. You've heard about the resurrected Christ. You've heard about all of the conversions. And you see these people coming and worshiping, thousands of them every day. And you don't ask for Jesus. You ask for money. We are impacted, affected by our own need to the point where we don't really know what we really need and what is actually available to help. He didn't know what was in front of him, did he? He didn't know what they had. And I love the answer that was given, verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold. Oh, you know what? Look, look at verse 4. I love this. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. Alms, alms, will, will you help? Alms, here, look, look up. Look up at me. Look at me. And, and Peter focused his eyes on this man. 
This is such a good question for us. Do you really see people? Do you see just the hair color or the style of clothing? Do you just see the the appearance they're trying to affect? Or do you really see people? Do you really see their need? Peter and John did. Verse 5. And he gave heed unto them. So the man responded, expecting to receive something of them. So he had an anticipation. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I I love it. Peter reached down. That man would have had to reach up. I'll try. You see, when the gospel is offered, you can't be forced. You've got to receive it. And he didn't give him the gospel, he gave him physical healing. And look at what happens. Luke, the doctor, describes it. And he took him, verse 7, by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. That feet and ankle bones, this is the only place that these words appear in the Bible. Luke, the doctor, wants to make sure that, that anatomically you knew what happened. His feet and ankles didn't work. Now they did. They didn't have strength. Now they do. And it reminds me of what the Bible says. For in due time, when we, without, we're, when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. We were incapable. We were without strength. His feet and ankles were without strength. And here, the Apostle Peter, in the name of Jesus Christ, lifted him up. And I want you to look at the way that he said it. I love this. Look at verse 6 again. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I... What's that next word? Peter had something. He had something. And he gave it to somebody else. What do we have? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that the light of God, the the light of the gospel that God has given, he's given it to us. And we have that treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the glory may be of God and not of us. But we have that treasure. We have it. We have it. When you really see someone and you really see and you listen to them, then you know their need and we know what their need is. It's something that we have. It's Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. We have this. It is our present possession that we are able to share with someone else who is in need. All of us would love to be able to ameliorate someone's physical need. We can do so much more than that, as Jesus said. Greater deeds than these. So much greater than healing someone's physical need. Is giving them the light that we have in Christ so that they can have an eternal salvation with an eternal God. That's what we have Peter had something and he gave it. What did he have? He actually had the power of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the gospel. 
It's so important that we see it. He possessed something, and he gave it to the man. But then notice what he says again in verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Because I'm a Christian, because I go to Grace Baptist Church, because I'm a Sunday school teacher, because I'm a... No, 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 no. In the name of Jesus Christ. Then, I want you to notice the result. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him. And what's that next word? Man, it's not a process. Just like salvation is not a process. It happens in a moment. In a moment. You were set lost, and now you're saved. You were a sinner. Now you're righteous. That is what the gospel does for us. That is what Jesus Christ does. It was immediate. It's described medically by Luke. And then notice what it says in verse 8. And he leaping up. Can you imagine what that felt like for the first time? So I'm, I'm going to golf school. And so I had to have this physical assessment to see what I'm able to do in the golf swing. And let me just say, not much. And so I... Uh, I'm having this physical assessment, and, and it's, I'm finding out all the how far, uh, the low these 60 years, my body has diminished. And one of the things we have to do is jump. So you jump, and you touch, and you see how high you can get. You could almost slide a credit card under my feet. I remember what it was like to be able to jump. Uh, that, no. Can you imagine never having jumped? How many of you remember running around and jumping as a kid? How fun it was. And, you know, did any of you boys, you know, any of you guys, you remember when you could touch the door thing? You know, you jump up and you could finally touch the door. Yeah, Sam's laughing. He was four. <laughs> right? Guys, raise your hand if you did that. Right? And every time you walk by the door, you'd jump up and slap it and your mom would say, Stop it! You're driving me crazy. Can you imagine what it was like never to be able to jump? This man did it, leaping up. But not only that, verse 8, and leaping up, and he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping. Can't you say, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. And what are those next two words? See, there was a physical transformation, but there was a spiritual transformation. Because he's not worshiping the God of Israel. He's worshiping Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. God in the flesh. Who is the God of Israel? But it's a new revelation, and he's a new worshiper. And then look at what it says. Verse 9, here's what happens. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were f- then they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. In other words, you couldn't fake what this man had. Later on in chapter 4, it tells us that he had been there for 40 years. He had been a cripple for 40 years. And now he could rise. Verse 12 And when Peter saw it, he answered unto all the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness 
we hath made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up. Do you see the same old message? God the Father, God the Son. If you have a modern Bible, it changes it from God his Son to God his servant. How many of you know the difference between a servant and a son? You guys may feel like you're a servant sometimes when you're at home. But if the rubber met the road, you're a son. Amen? See, we need to understand the, the time. It was a time of prayer. The place. It was, it was the place where people would go and see the sacrifices and pray, but it's the place where the church had been gathered and they're worshiping and praying and singing. The men, Peter and John, the specific man, Peter, who God called for a specific task, who saw, focused on him intently, said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we see a man. I don't really see a whole lot of faith in this passage. It's just the power of God in that man's life. And then what did he did as a result of what did he do as a result of that power? He praised God. He praised God. And here's one other thing. So fun. Verse 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. What did he do? He didn't want to let those guys go get away. He was clinging to them. What are we supposed to do? When God does spiritual work in our life, we are supposed to gather together with the people. And that's what they were doing. We're going to talk some more about that tonight. But it's just an amazing passage of Scripture. Let's all stand. I want to finish this. This is from G. Campbell Morgan. Listen to what he said. The word was spoken in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but it was spoken by a man who was in possession of all that name indicated. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, that I give thee. The simple facts then are that a cripple whose life was maintained by the alms of those who passed to the temple, a man who, had he lived in this day, would have been designated a professional beggar, was suddenly lifted and set upon his feet and made into an ardent worshiper in the spiritual realm by the word of two men who use the name of Jesus. Amen? That's what happened. Has that happened to you? Well, I've not been physically healed. Yeah, I know. We don't do that anymore. That's the apostles. Those are signs of an apostle. We'll look at that tonight. But have you been spiritually changed? Have you entered into that spiritual realm? It is so much better than being physically changed. I promise. If I could have eternity or be able to jump again, I'll take eternity. And who knows? Maybe in eternity I'll be able to jump again. It will take a miracle of God. Amen? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I'm not asking if you've made, if you've made a religious profession at some point. Because think about this poor man. Think about what he's doing, this beggar. He is sitting outside the gates of a dead religion hoping for help. That veil was rent in two. That temple no longer held the Spirit of God or access to God. Where is that now? It's in us. 
that's in us. See, you might be sitting at the gates of a dead religion when what Jesus Christ wants to do is he wants to enter into you and change you and turn you into a temple of God. That's what he wants to do. Amen? I hope that you'll trust Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that's in us. Lord, help us to recognize what we have, that we have the gospel. We have the glorious gospel.